Welcome to Week in Review, where we recap issues and events pertinent to Central Illinois. I'm WNBD News Director Cooper Banks. It's a new school year, and there are plenty of new challenges facing teachers, students, and administrators, along with all the excitement as well. School safety, a concern, and a conversation on people's minds the wake of recent mass violence on soft targets, COVID-2. I caught up with Peoria County Regional School Superintendent Beth Kreider to learn more about it. Okay, Beth, uh, I guess the way that I would start our conversation is, okay, it's back to school time. Things are about to get pretty busy for you, I guess. Ah, whenever that calendar flips from July to August, it feels like we all as superintendents want to stand up and say, it's on. And it just, you hit the ground running. The dust gets messier, the tasks get longer, the calendar fills up, but it's all good stuff. I have been at this, this is my 29th year, and the beginning of school is always exciting. The transition uh, that some districts are making to a little bit more of an extended calendar, how has that all kind of worked out? Is it is it going smoothly? Have there been issues complaints things that uh, you know have just maybe been a little bit tricky to deal with or or has all of this you know and i'm speaking specifically of peoria public schools here for the most part um and and any other districts in the area that have added that uh model how has that gone we have a few districts that are trying that this year of course peoria being the largest one but let me say that change is always hard right adjusting to something well we've been doing school this way for since we were formed as a country. And so anytime you want to make changes to something this significant, it's going to take a while for people to adjust, for you to see the results of why you chose to move to something like this. It's going to be a bumpy start. Getting everyone reminded that they start early because getting ready for school is not easy, right? Supplies have to be bought. You got to go see the doctor, eyes check, dentist, shoes, all the things. And to move that up in the calendar this first year is going to be rough. Um, it is one that we're curious to know more about. With happened with what happened in Uvalde, Texas. Look, something like that happens. Everybody feels like it could happen here, and then of course, everybody turns their eyes to folks who lead up public schools in the area for assurances. And I would ask about how you would respond to those concerned parents out there who worry about school safety coming into this year. I honor those concerns. It did happen here. Highland Park is not that far away. And while that wasn't a school, it's the same type of incident. So in Peoria County, I'm very proud to say there is a lot that we were doing and that we just did this week. This morning, I hosted for my area of the state a listening tour with the state superintendent, Dr. Carmen Ayala, to let her know what we are doing and what kinds of things that we need from them, from resources to laws to things that need to change. We also hosted yesterday our annual Peoria County Administrator Safety Day. We had more than 50 administrators from across the county at Dunlap High School. We hosted the new sheriff, Watkins from Peoria County. We had Monica Hendrickson from the Health Department. We had Jason Marks, who's the director of the Emergency Operations Center, all coming to talk to us about how we can better work together, how we can be on the same page and clearing up communication. We hosted that yesterday morning, fed everybody a great breakfast, had a good conversation. We have also implemented the following. We have a tip line called Safe to Help. 
if you see something, say something. All of our districts have access to that. Those tips can be made anonymously. We have required behavior threat assessment teams. Our office provides that training for several regions of the state to make sure there are teams talking about students we have concerns about. We have social and emotional learning free support for our districts to address that mental health piece. If there are kids that are struggling that might consider violence, we have some supports that are there for that. So those are just some of the things that we're doing. But the part that I am most wanting to get out to the public is that we have incredible partnerships with local agencies and other county offices to make sure our schools are safe. I wanted, I wanted to inject on that point a question about, and, and kind of breaking that open a little bit, is just maybe remind us a little bit about some of the traditional agencies and institutions that have been partners for some time and the things and the, and the people that you rely on when it comes to the issue of school safety here. That's a great question. And probably the primary one is our Peoria County Sheriff's Department and also the city of Peoria, which primarily works with Peoria Public Schools. We rely on that partnership because that's where the expertise lies. So they assist us with all of our drills when we have to do lockdown drills, soft lockdown drills. They respond to those tip lines that come in from anonymous people and help us to work through if that is something we need to take seriously or we need to address. And, and I think parents would have a concern as it relates to this, too, uh, is to understand, okay, impact of actions taken in this regard to school, addressing school security. What, if anything, might we expect that, you know, there might be a little more of this or there might be a little bit uh, mention of that more often? Like, how is it that things within the learning environment, talk to me a little bit more about maybe what we'll notice that is a, another great question. So as we look at this new school year, we start with this idea of that we need to harden the targets, right? So you might see some new door locks, some coverings on windows, things like that to make the school building safer. But I would emphasize to parents that safety is a mindset. It's about all of us knowing that we need to play a part in the safety of our children, which starts with see something, say something. If you hear something, see something on social media, let somebody know. Let somebody investigate it. The Sheriff's Department told us to tell them they will investigate it because if a student makes a threat, the Sheriff said they will send a deputy out to that home. It's that significant now. So you've got to watch what's being said. And with that mindset, when you show up in the school building, we need your cooperation and we need your support around making sure everyone has identification, that you can't just walk through the door. We may not recognize you. We all have to work on this together because I think we all have that heightened sense of, especially at the beginning of the year, that heightened sense of people coming in the building. Is the building safe? And so we're not trying to be rude. We're not trying to exclude anyone. We may ask you for identification to go through a system when you walk through the door, but that's to ensure everyone's safety, and we all need to play a role in that. Uh, I think I would switch to COVID, uh, right? Uh, we're, not, we're not out of it, so to speak. No. Uh, it's still going to impact uh, daily life at school. Tell us how. Remind us how. 
So as part of our safety day yesterday, we don't just talk about if there's an active shooter training, right? We talk about weather-related incidents. We talk about all things that could impact safety at the school, and one of them is COVID. So we invited Monica Hendrickson from the Peoria City County Health Department to join us and to talk us through what does that look like this year. And she said, remember, you as the school are going to go back to what you've always done. If a child is sick, send them home. Whether that's the flu or it's COVID or it's something else, we need to send them home. And that's what we've always done, and we've done it well, and we need to make sure we have those good processes and procedures in place. And if COVID is happening and someone has a positive test, it's the five days of exclusion, and then they can come back after that fifth day. So we're now just going to add that in to all the other sicknesses that we're dealing with, and it's just going to be a part of our daily life. Uh, all right. I if there's anything more to say about how COVID would impact our lives at school, what would it be? I, I feel like you've covered most of it, but I feel like well, we might I be forgetting something. What I would say to parents is, is that if there are certain classrooms or skill, school buildings that have an outbreak where there are several cases and we find out that there's a positive, you might have schools that have to be shut down, but we used to do that for the flu if there was too severe of an outbreak. Mm. So we will be monitoring that. But Monica did share with us as superintendents that we don't have to report positive cases to the health department anymore. But if we achieve significant numbers of children getting sick, then we would mobilize to do something about shutting down classrooms or buildings. You can learn more at 1470wmbd.com. More back to school news worth knowing, and Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker and other top state Democrats certainly weren't going to let the opportunity go to waste last week to talk up this year's state sales tax break for school supplies. Republicans have criticized the move as a political ploy, along with a larger $1.8 billion package of tax breaks for Illinois consumers. Governor Pritzker insists, though, it will help Illinois families suffering from the weight of sky-high inflation. It's a special place to celebrate a very special occasion. Uh, We're making this back-to-school season more affordable for all parents, for teachers, and for students. Every August at Roosevelt Elementary, more than 300 pre-K to fifth grade students walk through those double doors for their first day of school. And when they enter their new classrooms, they're met by marvelous educators who've spent the previous week decorating the walls with posters and charts and filling their cabinets with pencils and crayons and rulers and calculators. Now, students, well, they may not know all the work that goes into making their first day of school seamless, uh, but when they get older, uh, they will remember teachers like Mrs. Doss, whose kindness and generosity set them on the course toward success in life. These past two and a half years for everyone of managing through the pandemic has been hard. And the last nine months of inflation on top of that has strained the budgets of parents and teachers alike. Prices have risen for everything from gas to groceries to school supplies, and everyone is taking a hit. It's at moments like these that we need thoughtful and creative solutions that provide financial relief for Illinois families. Well, we are drastically reducing the state sales tax on school supplies to just 1.25% for 10 straight days. That's a reduction of 80% of the usual sales tax. 
And whether it's book bags or calculators, writing tablets, notebooks or binders, folders, clothing and footwear, if our students need it for school, it's covered by this tax cut. But it doesn't stop there. I know that teachers dig deep into their own pockets by filling up their classrooms with the resources that their students need to learn and grow and thrive. And we want to help them save money too. So educators will also be able to take advantage of this sales tax holiday with a tax credit for school supplies of up to $250 in 2022 and $500 in 2023. Our parents shouldn't have to choose between buying essential school supplies for their children and putting food on the kitchen table. Our teachers shouldn't have to break the bank to do right by their students, the students that they nurture day in and day out. And our students shouldn't have to walk into their first day of school empty-handed because of global economic challenges that shouldn't interfere with their day-to-day -day academic life. In Illinois, education is our number one priority. And we take seriously our obligation to honor our working families, our heroic teachers, and the next generation of young Illinoisans by making this back-to-school season as stress-free and easy as possible. Our back-to-school sales tax holiday is one of the many policies that we're deploying to put hundreds of dollars back in the pockets of Illinois' residents and provide immediate financial relief during this period of higher prices. This is just part of a $1.8 billion uh, tax break called the Illinois Relief Family Relief Plan, the Illinois Family Relief Plan. We are providing property and income tax rebates. We froze the gas tax and we eliminated the state grocery tax. This work is far from over. Comptroller Mendoza and her team are preparing to deliver rebate checks this fall to working and middle class families with an average family receiving between $300 and $400. Plus, homeowners will be getting an additional $300 in property tax relief. Even more tax relief provisions will go into effect next year, including a permanent increase in the earned income tax credit and an expansion of the number of households that are covered. That will put an additional $100 million per year back in the pockets of working families who need it most. We can do all of this because we've balanced our state budget for four years in a row. Illinois is in its strongest fiscal position in at least a generation. So we're going to do what good government is supposed to do in the first place, make our residents' lives better. To the educators that are here with us today, thank you. Thank you for all that you do to foster the curious minds of our young scholars. You are paving the way for a brighter future for our state, for our nation, and our world. I'm also honored to be here with uh, our speaker, Chris Welch, leader Kimberly Lightford in the Senate, Senator Michael Hastings, Broadview Mayor Katrina Thompson, and Maywood Mayor Nathaniel George Booker to celebrate this advancement for Illinois families. I want to thank them genuinely for their leadership, especially over the last couple of years, which have been so challenging for everyone. I also want to acknowledge our IEA president, Kathy Griffin, Maywood Education Association President Taquana 
Marshall, Proviso Teachers Union President John Wardasani, and former president of IFT Local 571, Rachel Esposito, and all of the educators who are here. Here's to a great rest of the summer for all of us and for our kids, and a smooth transition into the coming academic year. And with that, it is my great pleasure to turn it over to my good friend and our great leader of the Illinois House of Representatives, Speaker Chris Welch. Well, good morning, everyone. It is truly an honor and a privilege to be here with all of you. Back to school was always one of my favorite times of the year. And I think many of the parents uh, here today and listening to this press conference can relate when I say it still is a favorite time of year. Right, Mrs. Kelly? You know, they are happy that kids are getting ready to go back to school. And kids are ready to get away from their parents. <laughs> They're ready to go back and see their teachers and their friends. Dr. Henderson, good to see you, man. I didn't see you there. Uh, you know, they are ready to go back. Kids are ready to go back and, and, and see their friends and their teachers. You know, they love this time of year because, you know, at least I know my kids at home. They, they love to pick out their favorite folders and their notebooks and pens. And the new academic year marks the beginning of making new friends, making new memories. But this is also a time that can be financially stressful for our parents, guardians, and teachers. There are a lot of added costs to family budgets. And teachers, our great teachers, teachers that are members of IFT, one of the best unions around, and the IEA, definitely one of the best unions around. Our teachers often are the ones that bear the brunt of equipping their classrooms with necessities. The record level inflation is putting an extra burden on so many people across this state. That's why when we began putting together our budget for this fiscal year, we knew we needed to find ways to alleviate some of the financial stress of the back to school season and shopping. I'm proud to say that working together, the House, the Senate, the Governor's Office, we doubled the tax credit for teachers purchasing classroom materials. And we instituted a 10-day sales tax holiday on school supplies for all Illinoisans. Take advantage of it, because this is about investing in our children. We know that when we're investing in our children, because these are the types of investments that are possible when you budget responsibly. And the governor noted, we've balanced the budget not just once, not just twice, four years in a row now. And we've ended for the first time in a very long time with Illinois having a budget surplus. Sometimes duty and responsibility come calling and you just have to roll with it. That certainly seems to be the case for new Peoria Fire Chief Sean Solberger, who was celebrated in his new position this past week. I had the chance to catch up with him after all the fanfare and talk more about that and what he sees as challenges when looking ahead. All right. Uh, my first question for you, Chief Solberger, is did you want to be Fire Chief when you grew up? Um, I, I would be lying to you if that was the case. Um, <laughs> to be honest, um, I said this this morning in, in 
um, I, I I like my path. I really do. Um, I, I thought as a young man, and brutal honesty, as a I man, I love baseball so much. I was going to be a professional baseball player. That's uh, what I was going to do. Me too. And and then um, really quick at the tender age of 12 years old, you start figuring out that that's not going to happen. I'm kidding. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had the pleasure of playing baseball at ICC. My father asked me at that time, I was uh, 18 years old, and he said, you ever thought about being a fireman? And to be honest with you, like he never gave me that level of pressure, hmm. anything, even being a third-generation firefighter, never even really talked about it, to be honest. Um, but I did have the pleasure of seeing the joy that it gave him throughout his life and his career. Hmm. So I thought, you know what, I'll go. And they had a ride-along program. Um, it, you, you got one hour's worth of credit at college to just basically sit back and watch yeah. people in their profession. And when I did that first day, um, I was hooked, like no doubt about it. And When you look back on it, do you think to yourself, gee, duh, I guess if I'd have been steeped in it like I was ultimately – yeah, I was going to probably pick up. You know, is that kind of how that feels and looks probably for you? Uh, is that it yeah. does now? Obviously, when you're a young man, you know your your mind doesn't really go yeah. there. But I mean, it gets to answer your original question accurately. It was never um, in my game plan. It was never really part of my process. To say, hey, I planned on being the fire chief of the Peoria Fire Department. Sure. Um, but it, what, what drew me to this profession was just being a firefighter and um, going out there and helping the community. And, and I just, I've loved every aspect of it. And then as you grow in your career and grow as a man, you know, into this world, it just, some things change. Um, I have to compliment Tony Artis. Honestly, he was a strong leader mm-hmm. for the city of Peoria and the community and the fire department. And he, I was under his guy's, for a long time and he constantly told me he's like sean you're a leader and a lot of times it doesn't matter whether it's this profession or just life in itself a lot of times we question our own abilities um and and what we're capable of doing and i listened to him and as i went through my career i just like i think i can do this and and here i am what what is it you would say it takes to hold that position and to succeed in that position what would you say it takes you've had i mean a little baptism by fire with bioergia of course i think you probably were able to take measure of some of that um tell us a little bit about what is what does it take to to be in this job that that's a great question and, and that's a difficult answer um a lot of people might think that it's a very simple approach you know if i work x amount of hours a day and do X, Y, and Z that I can be a capable fire chief. Um, I would challenge them with that. You pretty much have to be everything to everybody. Um, and, and I embrace that, that there's an attention to detail. You have to be committed. You have to be open-minded. You have to be responsive. Um, you have to be empathetic. You have to be stern. Um, yeah. <laughs> there's so many, so many words and adjectives, and, and, and they're accurate. And, and I think what the most important thing is, and I say this to my command staff and my firefighters just about every single day, you have to be yourself. The minute that you start trying to be somebody else, you've lost sight. Um, everyone has different leadership styles. Um, everyone has different paths. You need to embrace those things. Be yourself. Um, learn. Every single incident that we go on is an opportunity to learn. And even though it's smaller level leadership, it's still leadership. So there, there's a quote that has been well-known throughout the Peoria Fire Department, and I've attempted to embrace this, that 
a good firefighter makes a good engineer, makes a good captain, makes a good battalion chief, and so goes the story. Mm. And so I've tried to do that at every rank through through this job and, and to the best of my ability. Yeah, I, I, uh, there's something to say about that. It, I, I don't know of maybe any any or many other lines of work where if you haven't been on the ground carrying a hose into a burning structure, it might be hard for you to sit in a position like you're sitting in now. Is that accurate? I, I 100% agree. Um, and and it, with the luxury of, of my path and my life, um, my, my father was a strong, or still is, a strong influence in my life. And so when I got hired, he gave me great advice. Many points, but one that really stuck with me, he goes, if the city or the fire department gives you an opportunity to train, take it. And I took that to heart. And mm. so from the minute that I came on this job, I had the ability to, um, from the inception of the dive team, our technical rescue team, um, fortunately, when I came on, I, I got to train in hazardous materials. And at that time, we had a very strong hazmat team. And I still kick myself to this day. One thing that I did not do um, was become a paramedic. And I still wish that I would have mm. uh, done that. I, I, I was an EMTB took the intermediate class, was at the finish line, got hired by the Peoria Fire Department, made a terrible decision at that time to not continue. Um, but I, I think to my point is, is that you have to be committed to education. You have to be committed to training to be the best professional firefighter that you can be. I think it's a fine enough moment to just insert that question about uh, we're talking to a lot of folks here who would be interested to know the answer to one particular inquiry of, all right, Chief, what do you need? What are you What are you looking at that are needs for the department? I think what we need is um, support uh, from people that make decisions. We need support from the community to recognize, you know, what services that we provide to the community, and it's my job to secure those things. So I embrace that challenge. Um, I, I, I'm, I feel like one of my strong suits is communicating. So I want to communicate on a high level with people that make decisions in regards to our fire department, um, get out into the homeowners associations and, and like grassroots levels so that people truly understand what services the Peoria fire department provides. So when I talk about support, I know that that's a very general statement, but that being said, um, like we, we need equipment and we need manpower and, uh, all these things that are going to give our guys, our men and women of the Peoria Fire Department, the ability to do their job at the highest level. And, and a, a very important part of that is is this SAFER grant that we've applied for that I was fortunate enough to be the grant manager of. Mm. And we're still we're waiting for this response. Um, we anticipate that we're going to land that. And by doing that, that secures Engine 2. And that, that gives us the manpower and the funding for three years of uh, federal money to put into two back in service. So then that takes our staffing from 160 to 171, and that is an important facet of what we're trying to do. I think I would just add the question about public safety pensions. It's like it's that topic that's in a box that never, it's like shaking and nobody wants to deal with it, and you're like, okay, we'll put it back yeah. over here. I don't want to mess with it, but it's gonna it's it's gonna be in your office now, and you're gonna to have to do something about it. Is that kind of what that's like? Absolutely. Yeah, and, and, and so, like when we talk about challenges, that that's a challenge. And and this is not throwing stones at any uh, previous administrations or any other public safety groups. 
I want to be part of that discussion. So instead of hiding behind that word or not wanting to address it, like I want to address it. Um, I have a pension. I think it's great. Um, I think it's important. I feel like people who are on pensions, they stabilize local economies. Um, everyone's heard all the same debatable points. But that being said, we also recognize in the state of Illinois that we have a pension issue. So we need to be part of the solution. We need to be part of those tar- talking groups, working with uh, legislators that make those decisions. So I want to be part of that focus group. Um, the manager already knows that. The city council already knows that. So I'm excited for those discussions. All right. Uh, I think that's all the questions I had for you today, uh, Chief. What else is it that you want to pass along to our listeners? What else should we know as you enter the, the new job? Um, I'm excited about the opportunity to lead this department and provide the highest level of service through the fire department to the community. Um, I'm really looking forward to this opportunity. A massive event, the annual St. Jude's Memphis to Peoria run to benefit the life-saving research being done at the hospital down in Tennessee, culminating with this weekend's huge celebration in downtown Peoria. WMBD's The Greg and Dan Show, all over it, all week from the moment runners headed south and then began the long journey back. Here's event organizer and local sheriff Mike McCoy, as well as fellow advocate and longtime Peoria sportscaster Lee Hall, who joined the runners. McCoy talked to the guys on Wednesday and Friday, Hall on Thursday. Yeah, it got it rained real hard for about 10 minutes, and then it got light, and then the sun came out, and the rest of the trip was beautiful. And forgive me for not maybe getting the words right, but you sit on the National Board of Directors. Is that how I say it? I do. And uh, for St. Jude. And these are people from all over, all walks of life, all backgrounds, whose primary purpose in life, think about this, the, the board, all the docs, all the staff, all the office people, everybody in the parking deck to the volunteers that take people around the hospital, all dedicated to helping people uh, when their family's diagnosed with childhood cancer, get through it at no cost and save that kid's life. Everybody's dedicated to the same thing. It's amazing. Yep, absolutely, and and that's not that's not a little statement. That's that's how it is. Um, that's how they all act, and the, pe- the way people are treated is is unbelievable. You know, it's not just to treat the kid; it's to treat the whole the whole family. Yeah, uh, the you know, family. It's a, it's it's a it's a huge crisis, and uh, you know, when you have the number one research hospital making breakthroughs every day, you know. At least once a week, I get a, a memo from from the um, Alsac or St. Jude about another paper that's been written about another discovery or another change they're making in the protocol, and that's that's just unbelievable. That's great. Yeah, it is. And, and you know, all those RVs come by to have the people from Peoria and Central Illinois come down to start a run. That's got to buoy their spirits just because, you know, it's a day-in and day-out grind for them to see someone from the outside and what you're doing uh, to go down there and and run back here to raise money uh, probably is a breath of fresh air for them. Yeah, you know, it is. Uh, Usually when we can't uh, leave from the front of the campus like we usually do because, you know, the COVID restrictions and and, uh, we just had a testing process and not not a vaccine requirement this year. So, you know, to see the kids with their faces pressed up against the window and um, some of those doctors, it's crazy. <laughs> That's fun. Hey, uh, just to recap some of the numbers, 41st year for this run, satellite right. runs all over central Illinois. How many runs total are there by the time you count them all up? Us plus 35, 30. so about 36 altogether. 
That's so cool. And so 36 runs in various places from Peak and Springfield, uh, wherever. They're all over the place. Uh, they all go together, and then they culminate uh, Saturday night at the telethon. That's cool. Exactly. About 2,500 runners this year all together. 726 WMBD. Our colleague Lee Hall has been running the Memphis to Peoria run for how many years, Mr. Lee? Uh, this is my 36. Nicely done. Wow. Nicely done. I was, yeah, I was, I was supposed to go on one to cover it uh, in 86 and got hooked on the event and then got hooked on the kids. And yeah, it's been a wild ride. Only my buddy Vic Reed has done 36 and Mike McCoy's doing his 41st this year. Otherwise, it's me, man. Yeah, good for you. Yeah. Good for you, man. And, there's, free, and, there's free food. There's free food. It's an all-inclusive <laughs> motorhome. <laughs> <laughs> now I know you are a man. You are, you are a man of uh, of great uh, I stole heart. That line from the girl that's driving right now. I <laughs> you're you're a man Thank of great heart, uh, great heart and compassion. So tell me how this does uh, hit you in those feels about the kids. Tell me about that. Well, the the best example I can give you is there are nine former patients doing the run this year. Wow. And back back in 1982, one of the doctors at St. France, or St. France, St. Jude, I'm sorry, one of the doctors at St. Jude told Mike McCoy, there's no way a patient will ever run with you guys. No way. They won't be able to do stuff like that. And now we've got nine. And, and, the, and Tess Swearingen was a patient when she was a little bitty girl, probably three or four years old, and her and her sisters called me Mr. Lee. And so there's a picture of her. Somebody, some people posted a picture of her yesterday in a shirt that said future St. Jude runner when she was about three or four. Oh, cool. And then my memory on Facebook today is of me and her. who has been a St. Jude runner for probably 10 years or more. That's crazy. You know, she talked about, she talked about how emotional she used to get when her dad and her uncle, uh, would go on this run, and now here she's doing it. So that's that's beautiful. You know, that's why we do what we do. That's right. That's right. Uh, give us a real quick sixty-second snapshot on weather conditions, and, and uh, so far the first run or two, everything going okay. Yeah, it was really warm yesterday for the gold team, and it was pretty sticky through the night for our team. And now we've got a lot of cloud cover. It looks like we're going to get some rain. We just. Uh, the runners are still in Tennessee. We just crossed over into Kentucky, uh, ironically, where my dad grew up, <laughs> right in this area. So, And he they helped build the state park we're going to go stay in. Oh, my gosh, that's the, cool. He, he was in the Civilian Conservation Corps back in the 1930s uh, and helped build this park. Wow. Which was so, and it was a Confederate stronghold, and it was right across the river where Ulysses S. Grant made his first uh, uh, battle with the Confederates and wow. kind of started his. You have a you have a lot of stuff. Col- yeah, you have a lot of stuff colliding in one spot right now. That's <laughs> that's know, pretty cool. Our friend for all these years, forty one years on the run, uh, Mike. Uh, we kind of messed that up getting a hold of you because we don't have a producer. <laughs> I got him. Oh, I know. <laughs> Give him back. You know, uh, one of the stories that we haven't talked about. Over all these years, when you run uh, the route, 
uh, through small towns, wherever, rural areas, there are people set up and waiting to cheer you on. Absolutely. You know, we see them, we see them all the time. You know, uh, uh, this time schedule has stayed pretty constant for the last 35, 35 years or so. And so, you know, the people uh, know us, and then they come out and say hi. One lady uh, by Pena um, for about 10 years waited for us. She was about 85 years old and gave us a $100 check every year <laughs> until we missed her. We knocked on her door, and she had passed away. Uh, and so stories like that are pretty cool. That is pretty cool. How? Uh, give us an update on uh, everything. I'm assuming that it would, it's gone smoothly, but what's the weather been like for you this year? Typical? Well, uh, it, it's been typical. It's been really hot. And this morning, we got an hour delay. We were at DeCoin, and everything there is flooded. It was raining so hard, we couldn't even uh, get out of the parking lot on time. Wow. So uh, we're we're uh, close to being back on schedule. Uh, the gold team is at the uh, DeCoin uh, pool uh, where they're eating and getting some rest. And we'll we'll run till 2 o'clock and, and meet them at 2 o'clock. You tell the story, and Lee brought it up again the other day briefly when we were talking to him, that years ago you were down at St. Jude and you asked one of the doctors there when a patient would run, and the doctor said, oh, that will never happen. And I believe there's eight or nine this year that are former patients running. Who was the first former patient to run? Do you know? You know, I think it was uh, Vince Murray or Amy Jones. I'm not real sure. I know that um, we had some early, and I can't remember. But how long ago, uh, though? Do you th- how long ago do you think it was, though? About twenty-five years ago. Yeah, so, thirty years ago. Yeah, my point yeah. is, it didn't take long. It didn't take long from that doctor's no. statement to yeah. the first patient uh, uh, running along the path. That's amazing to me. Yeah, you know, from nineteen eighty to nineteen ninety, they made some some significant. Um, research uh, advances in especially ALL and the, the most common form of childhood cancer. And so it was Gary Dahl that morning in 1982 and I asked him, how long till a former patient will run? He said, you'll never see it in your lifetime. Yeah. You know, nine this year is pretty cool. That does it for this edition of Week in Review. For instant news 24-7, follow us at 1470 WMBD on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and at 1470WMBD.com. I'm Cooper Banks, WMBD News.